everyone. It's Judy Warner. Welcome back to this week's Ecosystem Podcast. We're so happy you can join us. Today, I speak with John Coonrod, who is a technical marketing manager at Rogers Corporation. Today, we're going to talk about how you can navigate the pitfalls that exist between your designs and modeling and simulation versus what you end up getting back from your fabricator. There's lots of hidden pitfalls there, and we're going to start unpacking that for you. This is especially pro- problematic as we go into millimeter wave design. So I'm going to put all kinds of technical resources for you in the show notes. I want to say thank you to all of our sponsors and welcome our brand new sponsor, Summit Interconnect Technologies. Without these sponsors, this podcast is not possible. So make sure you check out the show notes and enjoy the this conversation with John Coonrod of Rogers. Hi, John. Thanks so much for joining us again today. I'm so glad to have you again. Hi, Judy. Good to see you again. Well, last time we did this podcast, we touched a little bit on a subject, um, but barely. Um, and so I wanted to get you back and talk about kind of a blind spot, right, when it comes to RF microwave and millimeter wave. Um, boards. And so why don't we just jump right in and we'll start talking about the things that um, the blind spots, both from fabricator side and particularly the engineering side is how at fabrication, the performance of the board, what an engineer models and simulates does not match the board they get back. Yep. I see that a lot. (laughs) And I saw it a lot too. So let's dig in. (laughs) Yes, as part of my role at Rogers, uh, I am in a technical service role for our our customers that are doing design. So actually at Rogers, I'll tell you real quick, we have two different groups that do technical support. One group that does technical support for the fabricator and helps them deal with circuit fabrication issues. And then another group that deals with the RF designers or high-speed digital designers, the electrical designers, I guess. And that's uh, the group that I'm really part of. And uh, there's probably never a week go by, maybe several times in a week, where someone doesn't ask me, why does this circuit not work the way that the simulation said? And there's a lot of, obviously, really good simulation software, electromagnetic modeling software out there. And I think it's really, my point of view is, I think it's kind of a disconnect and it's no one's fault. It's not the designer's fault because they go through years of school for electrical stuff and they don't, in electrical and academia, they don't have uh, time to talk about uh, how to build a circuit board and all the different aspects of it. And then the circuit fabricators, they come from a different background and they know how to build boards extremely well, but they may not know all the things that the electrical guys are looking for. And um, I say guys, gals, sorry. But yes. <laughs> anyway, um, they uh, there's kind of a disconnect there. And then when they actually start talking to each other, the light bulb comes on and go, oh, I didn't simulate oh. that or I didn't think of it that way. And Gosh, I run into that a bunch. Well, way back when, when I was working at Transline, who um, is one of the sponsors of the podcast now, we I would run into that all the time because I was like a technical sales manager there. And they'd right. like, man, what I modeled and simulate, Judy, doesn't look anything like your board. And then we'd right. go look at the traveler and everything we did. And we're like, we did everything to spec. And so it took right. me a bit of treasure hunting. So I think this will be, you and I have both had that experience, you far more than I have, but I found a little, a few gems and I'm sure having those multiple conversations a week, hopefully we'll build some bridges. And one thing I want to say right here, you know, if 
depends on also how those boards are getting purchased, right? So if it goes through a buyer, great. But so many Mm -hmm. times these days, right, it goes through the board gets ordered turnkey through the EMS shop, right? Mm -hmm. And then they build the board. So the fabricator sometimes isn't even in the conversation. Right. Yep. Which creates another level of disconnect. So, okay. So let's start talking about... Um, you know, why there's the these things, gaps. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, uh, one of the most common things I run into is uh, the effects of final plated finish. And uh, what happens is the RF designer, a lot of times they either don't know about the, the final finish having an effect, or if they do know about it, uh, they may assume that it's a much lower effect or, or uh, doesn't have as much effect as they, they would assume. Or, yep. you know, they're just, they're just thinking that it's not going to have much effect because of the, what they know about it. But in reality, the final plated finish uh, can make a really big difference. And it's a funny one because it's frequency related. So as frequency goes up, the skin depth gets thinner. And that means uh, you get kind of a composite uh, conductivity between copper, nickel, gold for a, a gold plating. And at a low frequency, you're using a, you know, a good amount of metal there. But at higher frequency, you're using less copper, more nickel, and some gold. Right. And then if you happen to hit the right frequency where you're using a lot of nickel and gold, and the nickel varies in thickness, which it naturally does, then you can actually see differences. And I've seen this several times in base stations that were operating around 2 gigahertz or less, some of the older technology. And it wow. was just so funny. We got a circuit in one time and we could not figure out what it was, why they had so much variation from circuit to circuit. And finally, we figured out it was the thickness of the nickel that was varying. And nickel thickness does have normal variation. And it just ha- so happened the skin depth happened to be just right to when it was on the thin side. You got a very different response than the thick side for the nickel being right. thick and thin. And then, uh, then there's other things, too. So like when you go up into higher frequencies, when the like millimeter wave, when the skin depth is really, really thin, then the uh, final plated finish makes a big difference. And if engineers have been working with final plated finish at lower frequencies, they think, well, it's not going to make that big a difference when they go to this other application that's higher frequency. And then they learn the hard way that it, it really does. So there's uh, multiple things that comes up to final plated finish. So it's been a while since I worked directly for a fabricator, but has anything in the last 10 years sort of addressed that? We always knew that nickel is lossy. Right. Yep. Right. And right. that exact thing you're talking about, which gets far worse. Now you're telling me at millimeter wave. Oh, yeah. And then we were talking about, well, let's not use nickel, which engineers right. think, yeah, let's just not use it. Just plate the gold directly to the copper, which doesn't yeah. work. Right. Yeah. You can't yeah, do that. Issues. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, well, maybe it's palladium or maybe like has any other solutions come along like in the last 10 years yeah and i've been uh working with a lot of the um the suppliers of these final plated finishes and they have come up with different uh options and it's really a juggling act so i'm most interested in the rf side of things so we did find uh epeg uh, yeah. Do you remember what that stands for? Electrospladium Wait, it's, is immersion? it EPIG? Is it or any pig? No, it's EPIG. No, uh, well, no pig. nickel. Right, right. I looked any at pig any pig still too, has but, nickel. Right. And EPIG doesn't it's have nickel. Electrolysis palladium. Electrolysis uh, palladium. Immersion gold. Immersion gold. Yeah, I think that's right. So anyway. So that, it's palladium. 
Yeah, yeah. So that looks really good for RF, even out to millimeter wave frequencies. But that's not the only issue they have to deal with. So sometimes they have to deal with wire bonding, and that wire bond's different than ENIG and all these other things. And then long-term storage sometimes is an issue, and just a lot of different things that they worry about for final play to finish. Uh, My favorite finish, I guess, would be Immersion Silver for RF. But the problem is, over time, as you know, Immersion Silver looks pretty bad over time. It oxidizes and looks terrible. You know, it's funny, though, is I did a a study a few years ago on an edge-coupled filter, which should be a worst-case scenario, where you have circuit features that are just together and they're edge-coupled, and they're edge-coupling through Mm. the final plated finishes, too. So they're very sensitive to final plated finishes. And with Immersion Silver, after four years of aging, the silver was really heavily oxidized. It looked terrible. And I tested it, and it it performed exactly the way it did when it was brand new, when it looked all nice and shiny and clean. And so that oxides for silver doesn't look good and it probably does cause other issues for i don't know if wire bonding or whatever it may be but uh for losses it doesn't cause an issue with loss it doesn't look good but it really is no problem with losses that's really interesting because i remember that issue and um people were thinking that oxidation would not only look good but degrade over time but you're saying no No. it doesn't actually i think the reason why I'll just tell you real quick, sorry. <laughs> the reason why I think it's kind of interesting is if you look at silver oxide, it's not much difference in conductivity than silver is. And that's why huh. the silver oxide might look terrible, but the conductivity isn't enough difference to really change it much. Whereas if you look at copper and copper oxides, there's a big difference there. Yeah. And then I was always like, well, just throw some clear solder mask on it. Yeah, there you go. It's like... <laughs> No, but then there's bonding issues. There's, yeah. oh, then then there's the effects of the solder mask. It, right, right. So, again, yeah. I always feel bad when we start talking about stuff like this, John, because I think, oh, our listeners are like, great subject. Tell me what to do. And it's right. like, well, it depends. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I always hated that, but it, uh, it's, it's true. It, it, it depends on so many things. Now, Eneg, I think, is a fantastic finish for everything that you could think of, except that you have to account for more losses. And you also have to account for more variation because the nickel thickness is variant. But Eneg's great for wire bonding. It's been known for years and years. So, you know, it, know. it's a very well-established process. But unfortunately... Have you have you written anything on this as far as like right. trade-offs or, you know, is there anything you personally have done to yeah. sort of... Uh, I, I've tried to, <laughs> it's a pretty big subject, but, uh, I've written a couple of yeah. things, a couple of articles on it and, um, that's available on our tech support hub, which is good. So people can read okay. that, but, uh, it's really a juggling act. It, it, it depends, as you said, <laughs> it's because, uh, <laughs> it's like one of those, um, what, what are those charts called? I'm, I'm completely having a mind lapse where if this, then that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. I feel like we need to make one of those, except I think it'd be so wild. It would be crazy. Because it's all about trade-offs. But if you have something published like on the tech support hub Mm -hmm. um, and send me those links, I'll just, I'll put them in the show notes here. Because again, I'm always like, well, this is interesting. We're talking about that and we're giving exactly nobody any clear answers. Right. Right. (laughs) But at, at least we're serving up, like, here's the problem. Right. Yeah. You need to be mindful of this. And if the designer knows that the thickness of the nickel is going to vary plus or minus something, they can put that in the simulation. But simulating final plate of finish is not an easy thing. It's kind of a headache. And that's why mm. a lot of times the designers try not to do that. But, uh, well, when you get the higher frequency, you really have to. 
Well, um, okay. What other things? Let's go on to something else that, you know, I used to tell, I used to tell engineers, I'm like, give me your files. I go, there's only about a hundred ways we could screw up your performance over here. It's true. You know, (laughs) so, right. So let's go on to two. We won't hit a hundred, but I know you have the recurring ones that you see week after week. Right. And one of the more recurring ones is more of a material issue and that's copper surface roughness. And some of the uh, simulation models can account for copper surface roughness and some cannot. And that gets a little confusing there. And also that's another topic that uh, someone might think that, you know, when I was operating at two gigahertz, that was not a problem at all. I could turn roughness on and off. and I'd see a little difference, but not much. But if you do that with a skin depth that's really thin at uh, 60 gigahertz, you'll see a huge difference because at that high frequency, it's really skin de- uh, thin skin depth. The majority of the RF currents using that roughened surface. And as that roughness yeah. surface varies, because it's not a perfect surface, it's going to vary roughness from batch to batch of copper. Uh, that's what will make a difference from batch to batch in performance of the same design of circuits being built in larger volume. So that's another. So one. when <laughs> it hits, so when it hits that that rough, and it has to be rough, mm-hmm. or it won't adhere to the laminate, right? Oh, so yeah. when you hit that that edge like that, right? Does it lengthen the effective trace length or what oh. happens or it just gets noisy oh, yeah, like yeah. what what effect does it yeah, have yeah you know that's the uh, problem with what i do sometimes i'm so deep in this i don't think about you know explaining it <laughs> uh so really for copper roughness uh it's related to skin depth so uh if you think of a cross-sectional view of copper it's really thick and the only the very bottom is roughened at lower frequencies the rf current is using the whole conductor and then as you get to higher and higher frequencies, you use thinner and thinner until it's just using the roughened area. And when the signal's using the roughened area, one thing that's obvious is it will slow down. So as the wave propagates down the circuit on a roughened conductor, it's going to be slower than a wave on the exact same circuit, mm. but smoother. Mm-hmm. So the roughened surface kind of, uh, well, it actually gives you a longer path, even though that's not a real good way to think about it. But it's, a, okay, it's an intuitive well. way to think about it. So, you know, a rougher surface gives a longer path and yeah. So it slows okay. down and also gives more conductor loss effects. So the conductor losses get exaggerated. Okay. So the slowing down part affects the uh, like propagation delay. So if you have two circuits exactly the same rough versus smooth copper, the one with the smooth copper is gonna have faster propagation, one with the rougher copper, slower propagation. And then that also affects phase too. So phase velocity and mm. phase angle related to that is also affected. So there's a whole bunch of things that this uh, rough and copper affects, but it's frequency dependent. So if you're doing this down around 600 megahertz, you may not even notice it. But at 60 gigahertz, you'll definitely see a difference in roughness. I see. Yeah. So does that kind of make sense? That, that completely makes okay, sense. Good. <laughs> but I thought I that I'd ask that again sure. because it's it's not always clear yeah, uh, especially to civilians like me <laughs> um all right what else i know there's more oh yeah there's um, a lot more and i i think is one i'm thinking of right now has to do with the way that board fabricators etch oh yeah right right trapezoidal effects so. and things like that oh yeah that's a big deal and what's funny is is uh the trapezoidal effects i guess to explain it real quick is uh most of the modeling software is going to assume you have rectangular you know conductors in in your cross-sectional view of a model 
And reality, if you take microsections of the same circuit being ran in high volume production, you'll see that sometimes it's kind of rectangular, sometimes it's trapezoidal, and uh, there's some variation from very trapezoidal to rectangular, and it can be trapezoidal the other direction too, depending on how the circuit is being made. If you over etched. Yeah, yeah. So right. yeah, that yeah. trapezoidal effect for a microstrip where you just have one single conductor, uh, it's not that big of a deal. It does have some effect, but not much. But where the trapezoidal effects come into play the most is when you have coupled conductors, like uh, differential pair where you have two conductors mm -hmm. side by side yeah. and they're coupling. If they're tall, square, rectangular walls, you get a lot of coupling fields. But if they're slanted away from each other, you don't have that much coupling fields. And because of that, you really mm. do get a difference in coupling and whatever this coupling would affect in the circuit. So trapezoidal effects is a big deal. And mostly I see that at millimeter wave. And the reason why is as you go up in frequency, a lot of the RF designers will transition from a simple microstrip circuit, which is just simply a signal conductor on top, ground plane on the bottom, to a ground equivalent or waveguide where you have ground signal ground on top and ground on the bottom. And that helps a lot of things when you go up in the millimeter wave range, but it's more sensitive to trapezoidal effects because the ground signal ground, mm. they're coupled together with these electric fields. And if they're angled away from each other, you get something different than when they're more rectangular, you have more fields. So at lower frequency, you may not see it much, but a millimeter wave frequency, you're going to definitely see differences due to that. And the trapezoidal effect, uh, well, well, go ahead. I could mm -hmm. talk on. <laughs> no, no. I mean, no, I, I love this subject. Again, I'm always sort of listening with the ears mm -hmm. of people who might be hearing our conversation oh, yeah, sure. and just like throwing the book across the room and just going, forget it. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> I'm doomed. But I always feel like I want to give them some hope. Yeah, sure. But um, to, to go back to the trapezoidal effect mm -hmm. at the at the board fa fabricator, right? You print, you etch, right. and there's different types of etchants, right. right? And you etch, depending on how thick that copper oh, is, right. will impact, right? Mm -hmm. So when it the dwell time, why it gets that trapezoidal effect right. is when it's dwelling in the etcher and right. the etchant, it, it hits the surface first and then goes down. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to get that effective width right. by the way yeah. that is allowed for within a tolerance because it's an imperfect process. Exactly. Right? right. And, and, but we get like a plus or minus tolerance right, at right. a board shop. Yep. And we're like, we're good. We right, met exactly. the IPC spec. Exactly. But the, Poor RF engineers over there going, I modeled this with perfectly straight sides. And exactly. all of this is sort of the fabricators blind to the, well, some depends on blind to the, the effects that fabrication mm -hmm. have on performance. And then engineers blind to trapezoidal effects because right. of their modeling or their simulation. And it right. just creates this perfect storm, which is why... I'm interested in additive technology because oh, cool. RF engineers have made, we don't care if it's trapezoid, but we just want it to be the same trapezoid every time. And I'm exactly. like, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's not how it works. Our, our technology is ancient and it, and it varies from lot to lot. That's right. And depends on the day, how old the etchant is, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But exactly. for a fabricator it's still within mm -hmm. IPC specs. So we're like, we're golden. Exactly. Right. And so it's tricky. And right. I love the idea of additive because you can get a, a cleaner trace geometry that could be modeled. Right. And and 
can be repeatable. Right. So True. that's why I've kept my eyes, and I think you've kept your eyes on that oh, too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. Yeah. But yeah, the yeah. the the thing I would recommend for RF engineers would be to do sensitivity uh, testing with their simulations. In other words. Talk to the fabricator, find out what their tolerance is for the conductor width and also trapezoidal, and then try to make models that uh, represent worst case and best case of that, and then see what the performance is as you vary across a range of conductor widths and trapezoidal shapes uh, according to what the fabricator tells it it can be. So if they can do that. There's a solution, yeah. a helpful solution. <laughs> exactly. Good. So if That's they can good. do that, then they're, they're set. But it's not a simple yeah. model to do with most of them to draw these trapezoidal effects. You actually have to manually go in and do it with a lot of the software. As opposed to assuming it's rectangular, you just press a button and off you go. So right. it causes the designer to do a lot more work. And uh, But it's very much worth it. It will tell you the difference. Okay, well, I feel better that we like came to <laughs> yeah, at least I felt like I had to say some something. way. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Let's give them some hope, John. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, you know, I'll give them a little more hope too, real quick. Is the, the coupling effects like uh, differential pair and other type of couple effects that I was talking about with the uh, trapezoidal shapes making a big difference? That's true when it's tightly coupled. So if you have a very tight space in the coupling, that's very true, but the, the wider the space gets, the less that trapezoidal variation matters. So normally what mm. I tell people to do whenever they're doing okay. the design, make sure you design it to where you have the least amount of coupling to be effective. And don't try to give it the really tight coupling that should be really good for a lot of things. I see. But if you open it up to where you have less coupling, then the, the coupled circuit will be less sensitive to trapezoidal effects, less sensitive to final plated finish, less sensitive to a lot of things. Which is a good point, right? You know, you and I have both seen a tendency to, for, like you said, I always say everybody's innocent here. It's true. Like it's, it's nobody's right. fault. It's yeah. just a, it's like a unfortunate yeah. events, right? A series of unfortunate right. events. That's what we should call this that's, podcast. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> right. I agree. <laughs> so it's right. And it's like, so it's like, well, again, designers sometimes tend to over-design thinking tighter coupling is right. good. If some is good, more right, is right. better. And so I think what you said is helpful and, and maybe, maybe, I don't know, you'd have to tell me sort of counterintuitive yeah. to what yeah. they might right. be thinking. No, so. I agree with you hundred percent because when uh, engineers starting to work with millimeter wave, they have issues at millimeter wave that they don't at lower frequency, like they have more radiation loss. So more energy being radiated off the circuit. They have more spurious modes or basically uh, wave modes that can interfere with the mode that you do want. They have unwanted resonances. They have all these different things that grounded coplanar waveguide can um, be really good at uh, minimizing or eliminating. So yeah, tighter coupling is a good thing for that. But tighter coupling makes the circuit much more sensitive to a lot of circuit fabrication uh, vari variations. And it's normal variations. It's not like they're doing anything wrong. It's just normal variations in making the circuit. Okay. I'm, we won't dig into it now. I know you have a lot of good resource on the technical support hub, which sure. is free, but let's make sure we circle back mm -hmm. after this and, you know, work together to get all those okay. links. Yeah, we'll do. Um, because yeah, it's like, I remember doing a talk once um, and it was a free talk at PCB mm -hmm. West, and I was doing it, uh, uh, you know this guy, um, oh, Michael yeah. Ingham, yep. right? And and we were, we were talking about it, and I'm like, 
I know, let's do a talk at PCB West about navigating the pitfalls of RF design and fabrication, mm. thinking, well, we could all see this problem. And I thought, oh, this will be a cute little free talk. He'll talk about yeah. the designer side and, you know, and then I'll talk about the fabrication right. side and won't that be great. Over a hundred people showed up and there's people lining the walls. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> I was thinking about this earlier, like, John, we need to do that talk or, or record it that's or something, idea. you know, or you need to, that, you know, a good idea. do it with Dale yeah. Doyle, who had 18 years of fabrication. Oh, yeah. Anyways, just a, yep. you know, squirrel. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. What oh. else? Uh, and then we want to talk about millimeter sure. wave, but um, what else can fabricators, or what are those, those pitfalls? Oh, there's several, but uh, the, the big ones we talked about, but there are issues with drilling that comes up from time to time and uh, drilling holes in a circuit, obviously, to get connections from one layer to the other. Uh, depending on what kind of circuit design mm -hmm. is, the uh, drill tolerance can come into play to give more variation than you'd expect. And the drill tolerance is really tight. So if you hmm. drill a hole, one hole to another, that tolerance is plus or minus a mil, sometimes even better than that. But a millimeter wave frequencies, plus or minus a mil can be a difference of 1.5 gigahertz in frequency difference. It, it could be a big difference. So yeah, oh, it's always something. <laughs> so the problem is, is that millimeter wave frequencies, the, uh, the wavelength is so very, very small that these very small anomalies that are not detected at lower frequency, they are detected at higher frequency. And going back to this granite coplanar waveguide structure that's really good for millimeter wave, uh, theoretically, for the, you know, minimizing the things you don't want, uh, that also has to have plated through holes in it because you got ground signal ground on top that has these grounds on top have to be to the ground on the bottom. And if those vias move in location, it actually does have a little bit of effect on, uh, it's a long story, but it has an effect on different things and uh, it will not match the simulation exactly. And again, at lower frequency, that little difference, you'd never even know it. But at higher frequency, where you have smaller wavelength and everything's more sensitive, Believe it or not, a plus or minus a mil will do it. Uh, you can get a pretty big difference. I think the worst case, no, oh, go ahead. Which is, and, and well, and like at a fabricator, plus yeah, or minus a mil. <laughs> I mean, we're doing laser drilling these days, oh, yeah. which helps a lot. But, you know, some people are still using mechanical drills. Yep. I'm just like, yeah. mm, how do we do this? Yeah. It's tricky. It's not just like, it's not IC level where, hey, right. no big deal, right? right? It's hard. It's true. Again, because... It, the technology at, at a board shop has oh, yeah. evolved a lot, but yeah. it's not enough. And um, and the board effects end up having a huge... Yeah. Um, oh. Okay, I'm going to ask sure. you about one thing that I don't think was on your oh, right. topic ahead. list, but I wanted to touch on it before we go a little deeper into the millimeter sure. wave, the blind spots mm -hmm. of millimeter wave that you're starting to see all right. over the place right now. The other thing I've talked to people about is about the mm -hmm. pre-preg and about right. skew. And about the type of glass right. you use related. And again, I think that's another, it's getting yeah. more attention now, I think, the right. skew. So why don't you talk about sure. that a little um, bit? It's not just pre-preg. Pre-preg is part of the issue, but also the, the laminate as well. But yeah, it usually probably shows up more in pre-preg okay. than anything else. But um, the, there's different okay. glass out there. The glass has been used for years and years is a e-glass and it's usually an open weave. So if you zoom in really close to it, you'll see 
you have bundles of glass and open areas and bundles and I can't really do that. But you know, you get some kind of a checker pattern kind of sorta. Like but yes, like a right. basket weave. That's how I yeah. picture it, but yeah. it's not exactly. Uh, so yeah. what happens is uh, when you get the higher and higher frequency, that little opening that's only between these glass weaves, that little opening is only anywhere from eight mils to twenty mils. It's not huge. And at low frequency, the wave is just so long across that little opening, it never even detects it. But at a, a higher frequency at really small waves, then that little opening is a good portion of that wave trying to go across there. And now you get uh, these fields that will hit an area with no glass, an area with glass, no glass, glass. And that gives you kind of a, uh, a zipper type of pattern for uh, impedance, where you have low impedance, high impedance, low impedance, high impedance. And that causes problems, one of them being skew for digital or propagation in general, it's going to be slower, actually, because you don't have a nice clean wave now. You're actually being disturbed as you move along. I guess that's a good way to say it. <laughs> so that that's one yeah. issue. And, and then they've oh, talked, yeah, and then they've, I've heard, you know, the importance of um, when it becomes an issue that there's been a lot of data gathered on that it's better to, I mean, there's various oh, yeah. ways to do it. Um, some have have right. pivoted the exactly the the um, chip yep. like or, yeah. I don't know yeah, forty five right. degrees or something like that. But the other way is to exactly. use red glass, so it closes up those right. holes, and then it propagates exactly. more cleanly. Yep, I did a so, I did a paper on that too, okay. so I'll send you a link for that. And it's mostly geared toward okay. millimeter awesome. waves because uh, high speed digital has been looking at this glass weave effect for years and years, and they know about it. And the RF people, yes. they were not that mm -hmm. much aware of it. And once you start getting up a millimeter wave range, okay. they start seeing differences because of the glass. So I wrote a paper on that, and I'll uh, I'll give you the link to that. Great. Okay. I write. I'm yeah. writing myself a note too. Um, all right. Let's go into sure. millimeter wave because this seems to be an area that you're talking to um, engineers, oh, yeah. RF engineers, yeah, more definitely. and more and more because it does not act the same as RF right. and microwave. And so again, <laughs> yay, more exactly. pitfalls to navigate. Yeah, Just kidding. <laughs> but I know that you really have a passion right. to get this information out and to raise awareness, which is, you know, why I love having you on mm. to, you know, let people know what's going on. So let's go into um, okay. Some of that, some of those, yeah, I uh, mean, we've touched on some of it right, as we've been yeah. talking, right? Um, but just first, overall, let's just give us some context about why you're oh, seeing yeah, it true. all the time now and why the rules of thumb in R for microwave have completely changed yeah, or yeah, don't apply. You know, I think what really happened, and I, I'm no expert in the topic here, but I think what happened with the millimeter wave push nowadays is that... Uh, the chip industry uh, finally figured out, well, it's been several years ago, that they figured out how to make chips operate very consistently at millimeter wave. I think prior to that, many years ago, there was a lot of attempts for that, but the, there were some issues with either high volume manufacturing of the chips or something else. But it seems like uh, maybe 10, 8, 10 years ago, something like that, the chip manufacturers started bringing more and more millimeter wave chips to the market. And as they uh, got better and better at the technology, that opens up a huge amount of new applications because the, uh, the band spectrum is pretty tied up uh, at lower frequencies. But a lot of the higher frequencies, millimeter wave, there was actually a lot of uh, open spectrum, you might say, that hasn't been used or could be used. 
And uh, I think, again, I'm no expert on this part of it, <laughs> but I think that's why I'm seeing more and more millimeter wave applications. And man, I see a lot of new applications that are millimeter I wave. See. So it's basically given the, the designers these new tools to operate at much higher frequency and you get some benefits out of that. Uh, but you also have a lot more headaches too. <laughs> Which is exciting yeah. on one hand, again, but then it's like, yeah. whew, you know, now there's a new set right. of, and what I think so interesting, I had dinner with a couple of like powerhouse uh a power amp right. designer last night and um because these are the kind of yeah, people cool. <laughs> and another one that i know no yeah. they're they're so great we had a lovely dinner but we were talking about you know they all work mm -hmm. at right. the chip level right and i was talking to them and you know i feel like they're so far <laughs> above my pay grade technologically yeah. but they teach me a lot and i was telling them that everybody i'm talking about is saying that their problem now consistently oh, yeah. is board effects. And this right. is what we're talking about. Like, great, right. the chips work there, and True. then it hits the board. And, you know, and it's I like, agree. okay, we need to right. educate right there, right? And you have really been on the front lines of that. Um, so there's the pain point. And we've touched on some of the, the again, they, it doesn't matter for or for microwave frequencies, then you go to millimeter and right. it exposes, Definitely. right? Vulnerabilities and things. Um, one thing mm -hmm. we didn't touch on um, was about the, um, the performance issue as it relates oh, to thermal, right? To operating right. temp. So why don't you sure. unpack that uh, a little bit? That's another thing I've done some papers on and I'll have to send you a link to that as well. But every okay. material has something called TCDK, and TCDK is thermal coefficient of dielectric constant. And what that means is that every material, as you heat it up and cool it, will change properties. Uh, of course, everyone thinks of CTE, it expands as the heat contracts when it cools. Well, you also right. have dielectric constant changing with temperature, and you also have dissipation factor changing with temperature. So if a uh, engineer actually mm -hmm. evaluates a board and fine tunes it in a lab, and then they put it out in the field where it goes through wide swings of temperature, they see big differences in performance. Oh, and I see. That has, uh, that's one of those mm. issues I deal with pretty often too. Uh, so TCDK is really important. And uh, some high frequency materials are much better than others. So we formulate many of our high frequency materials to make sure they're flat for that. So as you heat them up, the change in dielectric constants very little. But uh, I've seen this from many, many times on 77 gigahertz automotive radar, where they will do testing in the lab or something, then they put it in uh. a unit and go drive around. The unit itself actually heats up some, but then you also have the outdoor effects and the sun shining on it and everything. And, and then as it heats up, it changes performance and then they have issues. So that Oh, you drive to work in Chandler, Arizona yeah, true. in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, it's crazy <laughs> hot here in the summer. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, exactly. that heating and cooling will make a difference on the circuit board and how it performs unless, again, the RF designer is aware of it and they do models and simulations to figure out, okay, the DK could go up this much when it's hot and DK could go down that much when it's cold and then do some models to see what difference in DK causes, you know, what right. effect. You know, and I think it comes back to that, like just having yeah. situation awareness exactly. so you, your models are good. Like oh, yeah. you can model for it, 
but you exactly. can if you don't know it's there and you don't know it totally worked at my right. microwave level frequency but now i've gone to middle me where and all of a sudden it's like right. what's happening right did i don't think yep. we touched on which you and i've talked about sort of offline uh-huh. before because we've both seen it in the past is particular millimeter wave now I, i'd like to hear you talk about the effect of this is the the final copper thickness variation oh yeah uh that that is a big deal with some uh, designs. And uh, I, I also got a paper on this one too that I'll send you. But uh, okay. the reason why is because uh, the copper thickness does vary from circuit to circuit in manufacturing. And I think most of the circuit fabricators are pretty good at controlling that, to be honest. But it does have some tolerance. And again, at microwave frequencies, differences like that may not be detected. But at millimeter wave frequencies, definitely. And also along with that is uh, usually at millimeter wave frequencies, they want to do something to minimize the unwanted resonances and things. And that's where these coupled features come in. So if it's coupled, uh, that also is going to throw in another, you know, another variable in there as well. So if it's coupled and the copper is plated thick, now you've got really tall sidewalls coupling. And if it's not plated thick and it's thinner, you have less sidewalls coupling, which means mm. in one case you have more fields in air. And in another case, you have less fields in air. So that means the decay of what the wave sees is going to be lower when you have more fields in air. And when it's more thin copper, you have less fields in air, and it's going to be higher decay, actually, because air is very low decay, that one. Right, so, exactly. And again, at microwave frequencies, you can see the effect, but it's not as dramatic as at millimeter wave frequencies. And that's some of the problem is when a designer goes to these higher frequencies, they want to get rid of these other problems. And one way to do that is this ground to planar waveguide or coupled features in general. And that copper thickness variation that's normal from batch to batch, uh, that can mm-hmm. make a difference in RF performance. And again, from a board fabricator, it's like, oh, well, this is within spec. Right. It's within tolerance. And, and also, you know, uh, yeah. Also, again, uh, the sensitivity testing that I said before is they can run models on that. As long as they talk to the fabricator and know what to expect for the difference in copper height and copper thickness, they can run a model with the thin copper, run a model with the thick copper and see what the difference is and try to make sure the circuit operates within you know that range. Now, what happens, what's the effect, say, um, when you do multiple, like say if you're using buried in blind vias. Mm -hmm. And so sequential lamination that has to go through multiple plating excursions, like. Yeah, that's um, tricky. You know, some of these 77 gigahertz automotive radar I've been working with, they do that. They have multiple plating because of uh, microvias or different things they're doing, how they're building the circuit. And um, I've seen some of the designers put specifications on the circuit fabricator to hold the overall copper thickness to a pretty tight spec and it's not easy to do when you do these build-up mm-hmm. structures so that's something that the designer really has to work closely with the fabricator on to understand that but, yeah. yeah and again you know it sounds like such a uh, i don't know with how complicated these designs are especially for our microwave millimeter wave yeah you know devices and you know systems it's like it seems like the least intuitive thing to like go talk to your fabricator. It's really, really important. And I've been singing that song for years, but then I feel like I I am aware of that. And you probably are more so it's like, 
boy, go talk to my fabricator. Right. Usually I design the board. I might give it, you know, different ways. If I'm doing prototype, I might be really tightly coupled to the process. Or right. I might just design it, give it to the buyer. Oh, true. And they'll go do whatever they do with it. And it's right. like off. And so you, you don't, you may or you may not talk to your fabricator. But anyways, right. I think if you do have those conversations, it sounds like a kind of silly mundane thing to do. But I've heard nice. it over and over again by people who have actually done that. Yep. Like Rick Hartley, who oh, yeah. designed really complex RF systems for L3. Finally, exactly. he just said, I'm going to go. And he went in deep and it completely impacted how right. he designed. So can't say it enough. I know it sounds like a simple solution. You know. Well, it's true, All right. Though. Well, I'm I super agree. excited to pass on those resources that you have. Sure. And also... Um, before I let you go, I wanted to give a shout out to, um, recently we got a new sponsor who I know you know, John, which is Summit Interconnect Technologies. Oh, yeah, sure. And yep. so they are now a sponsor of the ecosystem. And I do this strategically oh, for good. a reason, right? Because mm -hmm. they provide good, Jerry Partita and some mm -hmm. of their internal subject matter experts put good resources out there to talk right. about this and um, I'll see if I can pull some of that and also translating technology which is how I learned this crazy oh, yeah. RF fabrication <laughs> side they're also a sponsor and Great. they're really good at quick turn talk oh, yeah. to your fabricator you know they're yep. more at the prototype quick turn and uh, summit is is you know more they'll do prototypes but but more so if you need a fabricator to talk to I'd recommend those two. They're both quite capable and I picked them for a reason. So, oh, um, and then John and all his resources. So <laughs> sure. for our listeners, there's some little beacons of hope to, <laughs> to tap into. And then, yeah. So, mm -hmm. and then, um, also our other sponsors, you know, I'm trying to build this ecosystem so you can go grab like yeah, stuff sure. from Keysight. Right. About right. modeling. And absolutely. They have some good stuff there. Um, Matt oh, Rosales yeah. was on the, on the podcast. Right. And he was mm -hmm. talking about, he used to design our um, power amplifiers for years. Right. right? Uh -huh. And then he went to work for Keysight and he's working right. on the modeling and simulation side. Oh, good. And because he's been on both ends. Yeah. He kind of sees the whole thing. So That's he perfect. does a lot of YouTube and stuff. So we'll put, right. we'll pack the show notes with all this good, good content where you can go tap into the ecosystem and get some good stuff, but start with John's stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> identifying the blind spots and then yeah. you can go, <laughs> go find the other good stuff. Is there anything else um, you wanted to touch on? I feel like we've covered it all, but. Yeah, I think we hit the highlights anyway. So I think I'm okay. <laughs> okay, good. Um, John is, um, is Rogers going to be at PCB West and I think they're in October this year? Yes, we are. Uh, I'm going to be presenting there. <laughs> I'll be presenting okay. something. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll hunt that down because if you're listening to this podcast and you're able to get up to Santa Clara and uh, North kind of Northern California, that's coming up and that's yeah, another great conference. It's a great yep. show. John usually presents there and I, yep. and Rogers I'm sure has a booth there. Yep. So that's mm -hmm. another good way you can tap into sure. to some fabricators on the show floor and Rogers and then True. get some good technical education. So, right. well, John, thank you so much. I always oh, love these phone calls with you and yep. thank you. 
giving our audience some resources and some hope. And uh, so thank you so much for joining us again. My pleasure. Sure. For our audience, thanks so much for joining us today. We we love doing this for you. Make sure you go like and subscribe wherever you're finding the Ecosystem Podcast. And, um, you know, come over to the doubleecosystem.com. Join our community. I'll hope to rope John into an online community where you can continue asking him questions like through Discord or something. I'm working on that right now. So thanks for much for joining us today. Thank you to all our sponsors for helping make this podcast and conversation possible. We will see you next week. Until then, remember to always stay connected to the ecosystem. Oh, 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 oh,